0: Welcome to Raging Gracefully 2.0 with me, Annie Nyland, your host. Raging Gracefully, once a column, has now leveled up to podcast, and I'm sure you're all very excited about that. You can expect some satire, tongue-in-cheek social commentary, questionable advice, obscure musical lyrics, and some fitness and wellness tips that just might fly in the face of what we're currently being force-fed. So I hope that wet your appetite. Let's do it. So before we get started on the episode, I did want to share some news. I think it's every podcaster's secret hope that they can pick up some endorsements. And that way, their um, time that they're putting into their podcast can um, produce some revenue. Now, I will admit that's not what my goal was. I just am happy to speak with you and talk into a microphone. So, but this company did reach out to me. They, um, somebody from the company had listened to an episode and thought I might be a fit for them. They're rather progressive. They're a little bit naughty and they have this great new product. I'm not really supposed to do the commercial now. They give you a copy and you're supposed to insert it in your episode. And of course, it's very important to read the copy exactly as their agency wrote it. But they did say I could do a little teaser. So um, the teaser is, like I said, it's a new company and they've come up with a, a new type of personal lubricant. Now, before you go there, remember personal lubricants can, aside from being personal, they can do a lot of different things. And what makes this personal lubricant um, so effective is that it is organic. It is uh, humanely derived. And I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds good. And But here's the, here's the best thing about it, that, that they decided they couldn't come up with a name and they haven't reached out to um, a focus group. And guess what they're calling their product? Are you ready for this? You're going to want to go out and buy it immediately. Their, their name of their personal lubricant is called spit. Doesn't get any better than that. Okay. This episode is about fitness. Now, I didn't want to talk too much about fitness and wellness because I feel it's been covered very nicely by other podcasts, articles, movies, uh, Netflix series, whatever. But every once in a while, I am going to have to bring it up because if you know me, you can attest to the fact that my entire adult life has been dedicated to fitness. So today I'm going to talk about, I'm going to start off with uh, the extolling the virtues of group fitness classes, and then we're going to move into the history of fitness. So I'm not going to tell you what to eat or what to drink or what kind of workout to do that's been covered and I'm sure you're doing it on a regular basis. So when someone comes out to me and says, well, why do you love teaching group fitness? Well, first of all, in my head, I'm saying, well, let me count the ways. Basically, I've worshipped at its altar for decades. And when somebody tells me that they don't take group fitness classes, I feel like they're a lost soul. And it's because it's my religion, I feel I have to save them and help them see the light. So when I ask them again, what do you mean you don't do classes? And they just say, well, you know, it's just not my thing. I said, yeah, but have you ever tried? And they say, again, Annie, let go of my hand. It's not my thing. And that's when I pray for them. So for those of you who are not um, inspired by group fitness classes, I'm going to beg you to just try one. There does seem to be two types of people in the gym, those that are self-governed and can stand in front of the mirror and watch themselves pump iron, and then there's those of us who gravitate towards that gyrating, pulsing beat and want to dance around and tell ourselves that we're working out. Okay, don't write me any letters about that. So one of the ways you can succeed in a group fitness class without really trying is... Uh, stand behind the hardest working person in the class. Uh, Do a reasonable facsimile of whatever they do. And when they grunt, make sure to out grunt them. Now, of course, remember to hydrate, but I want you to over hydrate. This way, every time you sip, it cuts into the class time. And better yet, every time you have to empty your bladder, you can take your time when you get done emptying your bladder you can drink more water and that's definitely going to shave away the time in class then you can arrive class you can arrive to class late and that always makes instructors really happy when students are kind of like prancing <laughs> after the warm up and after the explanation of the class so if the instructor might pull you aside afterwards and tell you, listen, it's very important that you arrive on time to get an optimal workout. Um, I'm going to give you some excuses that you can use and you, they're not really lies because I'll, I'll tell you how to twist the truth because that's my forte. So you could try saying your dog or cat ran away. Now, if you don't currently have either, but there was a time that you may have had a pet in your life and they did run away, it's technically not a lie, right? Or you could say my toddler threw a tantrum and it's not the best excuse if you are a menopausal student. And you could also say my doctor's appointment ran late, but if it's a 5.45 a.m. class, you might have to rework that one you could say my gps gave me the wrong directions and um yeah yeah you you could you could try that uh, but if they see you in the gym in other areas of the gym that uh little white lie may not be as effective did i just hear a smile so i uh, you know i'm still crazy after all these years and history does keep repeating When I come home and I'm all pumped up from class and, uh, you know, that adrenaline, that is our drug of choice and us along with endorphins, of course. And, um, you know, my husband's sitting there all mellow, watching TV, and he does not need this group fitness instructor buzzing around him and repeating the highlights of the class. But nevertheless, (laughs) he's so patient, he endures it. And then he'll notice that all of a sudden, there's going to be a crash coming. And when he sees me heading for that usual crash and burn, he sets up a roadblock by clasping me in his arms. And he forces me to pump the brakes. Oh boy, it's sounding like that auto uh, analogy of the last episode. So then his eyes, his milky, chocolatey, well, I don't know if they're milk. Well, no, they're more dark, chocolatey eyes. He he implores me with his eyes and I hear him beg before he even opens his mouth. Annie, have you ever just tried sitting? And so I tilt my head to the side and I answer just like the people who said they don't want to ever take a group fitness class. I answer him, with, it's just not my thing. So let's move on. So on the heels of doing some research concerning the history of fitness as expected when it came to women it was a slow moving situation in terms of where they were then and where we are now. And a lot of this has to do with the um the uh, social cultural roles that women played and in some parts still do, imagine growing up as a little girl and you were told sit and look pretty and don't get your dress dirty. And unfortunately, for even some of you listeners, that still might be the case, although it is changing and we're all deeply thankful for that. So it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy that while the boys were out getting their bodies strong through um, athletic activities and sports, the little girls sitting and, you know, like I said, looking pretty, not getting their dresses dirty and not challenging their bodies. So eventually what happens is you do perceive yourself as weak because your body basically hasn't been trained. So this was the challenge for many women. Um, Sports was very much recreational for women and not really fitness-oriented. So um, interestingly enough, Theodore Roosevelt was one of the first presidents to actively encourage Americans to exercise and be physically fit. Now, don't confuse him with Franklin. Uh, Delano Roosevelt, like I did, um, he was the one in a wheelchair. And when I first uh, thought that he was the president that was endorsing fitness, I thought, "Oh, that's really great," and just a little bit ironic. But it was Teddy, so head for Ted. So the early nineteen hundreds, they you know, it was a lot of stretching, very passive exercise, and maybe that was a precursor to yoga. Eventually. Machines came into play, um, stationary bikes, rowing machines, and that ever so popular Vibro Slim. Now, Vibro Slim was a vibrating belt that massaged the body, and typically women would put them around their derriere, because I think that's what an ass was called then. And they were popular uh, forms of exercise. No wonder you could stand there with minimal effort, um, let the machine shake your booty and that's where that term comes from and um you know it 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 sounds uh like nonsensical now but when you think about it we do have similar um uh you know t- technology now for example last time i was at the chiropractor i stood on a um a vibroplate and basically that does vibrate All all of your body, but they didn't say it was going to make me physically fit. It had more to do with um, shaking things up internally. And I don't want to get too science y because I don't know the science of that, but you can bet I will look it up after this podcast, after this episode. So uh, let's see where we are now. Okay. So, oh, listen to this. In 1910, guess what was touted as a form of fitness? Are you ready for this? yawning and you know what it it must be a great form of fitness because i see my students yawning <laughs> through my class so they're onto something and the reason they thought it was a valuable exercise for the lungs is that they they felt that actually this was uh, pushed forward by a particular doctor but you don't need to know his name do you so he um, explained that yawning brings all the respiratory muscles of the chest and throat into action And therefore, it was the most effective and the most natural means of exercise and a way to strengthen them. So, uh, it was recommended that six to eight yawns and each followed by a round of swallowing. Okay, so that's your fitness regime for today, folks. After you are done listening to this episode, I want you to yawn six to eight times and don't forget to swallow. Well, that's a personal choice, but, you know, maybe not on the first date. So um, the the 1920s, the, the women actually worked out fully dressed. I mean, they had their funny looking heels on and sorry to pass judgment, but they were funny looking and, um, you know, pearls. And that's what they worked out in because, again, the workout of the time was very recreational. So let's move on to the 1930s and the 1940s. And I think this was a time where what we now refer to as bodyweight exercises um, became the rage of sorts. And basically, this was calisthenics, but calisthenics really hit its stride in the 50s. So the YMCA became a place where people would go to exercise and they would actually starting to carve out time for fitness. Now, let's talk about the YMCA. One of my employers, by the way. Now, what do you think the Y and the M and the C and the A stand for besides some corny dance at a wedding where that's the time you really want to run to the restroom? So This guy, George Williams, he founded the YMCA in, get this, 1844. He joined 11 friends to organize the first, get ready for this, Young Men's Christian Association, aka the YMCA, and if it was a refuge for young men seeking escape from the hazards of life on the New York City streets. Hmm. I did not know that, and I never stopped to think about it, did you? What exactly does the YMCA stand for? Well, now we know it's the Young Men's Christian Association, and that makes me a little afraid to go to work. Uh, Not too afraid, though. So uh, interestingly enough uh, about the YMCA is that it was known for inventing certain sports, and those sports are volleyball, and racquetball. And they also pioneered and um, really promoted camping, other forms of physical fitness, and even swimming lessons. So that was good. So here's the thing about wellness at the time. This was a time where cigarettes were not considered harmful to your health. In fact, people would exercise and smoke at the same time. So in in fact, many of the cigarette ads at the time featured doctors touting the benefits of smoking. And even worse, some of the cigarettes came with exercise cards. Now, I, I, I definitely want to do more research about this because that's just fascinating. Imagine you buy a pack of cigarettes and, oh, wow, aside from these delicious menthol fire sticks, that I'm going to breathe into my lungs, I'm going to learn how to exercise. The dichotomy of that is just too delicious. But it wasn't until 1964, now think about that, 1964, basically yesterday, it wasn't until then that the U.S. Surgeon General declared that smoking caused cancer and other health risks. So um, has that stopped smoking? No, it hasn't. But has it diminished it? Yes. And do you see people smoking at the gym? Yes, <laughs> but it's not tobacco. Um, well, that, that would be a fun gym, wouldn't it? So um, with regard to what women were wearing um, in terms of exercise, they took off their high heels, yay, and left the pearls at home. And they wore it like this one-piece outfit, uh, similar to what is called a romper, and it had bloomers. And if you think back, depending on your age, if you think back to early, uh, your early uh, gym classes, and again, we called them gym classes, we didn't call them PE classes yet, Uh, you'll remember those bloomers. I think uh, ours were blue at one point and then yellow. And if that's if that's very pertinent information. So um, wellness trends have changed and so has the workout here. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention Jack Levain, and he definitely was the father of fitness. In the 30s and 40s, he opened up health clubs in California, and that started to attract people to actually go somewhere to get fit. But by the 50s, he was a household name because he had a television show. So every morning he entered America's living room and touted fitness. So good for you, Jack. And in 1968, the word aerobic first was added to our lexicon. And this was driven by Dr. Kenneth Cooper, who coined the term and he claimed that it was the most effective form of fitness, getting your heart rate up. And the word aerobic was very popular for a couple de- decades. And now we just refer to an aerobic activity as cardio. So health clubs became more and more a popular place to work out and even have a social component. And much of the equipment that you see in gyms now is not all that different from equipment of the day. After all, a free weight is a free weight. So at this time, people really started getting behind self-care. And the first um, muscle massager was invented. And this was basically a, a roller massager. And it had wooden rods on a rotating drum that you rolled over your back, arms, stomach, and legs. Hello, myofascial release. Same thing we do today. And it was touted as a way to relax, but it also claimed to help you lose weight or trim your muscles. So we're going to dismiss that because we know that that's not true. And this era also gave birth to the health club chain. And, um, again, that Jack Lane, we have to link his name to Gold's Gym. Again, another employer. And did I talk about the YMCA? I I think I did. So um, let's see. Oh, the activewear. So the the 50s, uh, women were dressing a little bit more sportier. They had cotton leotards and shirts with a collar and even more like short shorts to class or to work out. And actually, by the late 50s, uh, something was invented that changed the game. Can you think of what it is? Well, let me give you a hint. It's definitely in your workout clothes. And quite likely, your favorite pair of jeans or favorite shirt has this woven into it. Did you guess spandex? And of course, now we know it as lycra. And we know as Americans, we like our clothes stretchy because after we eat a really big meal, we want our pants to stretch around our gigantic bellies. And that's the way Americans roll. No judgment. So spandex was invented in 1959. Remember that? If you ever are in a trivia game, you will win if you remember 1959. Living la vida lycra. So I'm going to wrap up this episode for now. The next episode will highlight what happened regarding fitness in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and right up until today's times. All the trends, all the changes, um, all of that good stuff. So now you have something to live for. So my parting thought is this, that when it comes to fitness and changing your body. Only so much can be done. You know, you have to talk to your parents about your body composition. But in many, many cases, and I've seen this up close and personal, what is round might get a little flatter if you work out, and what is flat might get a little rounder if you work out. So as you can see, it's definitely win-win. So that's all for today, and that's it in a nutshell, Joni.